Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. All right, everybody, we're here. Sorry about that. It's, it's been an adventure uh, these last couple of weeks. We've had uh, all of the tech issues you could imagine seem to have cropped up and bit us. Uh, but hey, we're here. It's me, it's Alyssa. We're here at Securing Bridges. We, we haven't forgotten about you. Um, yeah, so the, the fun of doing a live show. Uh, for those of you that were on last week, first of all, um, just a quick heads up. You saw, you know, lots of struggles with audio last week. Um, as a result of that, the interview, the, the show with Gabby, uh, we're not going to be converting that to podcast. So if you went looking for the podcast audio ver- only version of it, uh, based on the audio issues, it just really wasn't worth putting into podcast. You can still watch the video of it. Um, we're going to work on trying to have uh, Gabby come back and join us again, maybe in a couple weeks or something. But like I said, live TV, it's a whole different ball game. This isn't just your simple podcast anymore. So we're back. It's another week. We've got another episode, another amazing guest. Every week is an amazing guest here on Securing Bridges. I swear to God, we have had some incredible folks. And yet again, nothing's different this week. It's yet another amazing guest. I'm really excited to welcome today. It's Chuck Brooks. Chuck, how are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I am. I'm doing wonderful. We had a little bit of a, a scare there coming into this with some tech issues, but we got everything resolved. I'm. We're going good, and, and Frank's already Definitely. giving us giving us trash in the you know. <laughs> <laughs> Because we, we started at 404, so we're already getting crap for that. I, I love it. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Frank. Love you. Glad to see you out there. So, Chuck, welcome to the show. First of all, I just want to turn it over to you in a minute just to, to give us a little intro. Tell the folks out there a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you've been up to. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm originally from Chicago, but I moved out to Washington many years ago and first served in the government uh, on the Hill for the late center inspector and in technology issues. Later became one of the first people hired at the Department of Homeland Security, where I worked in the Science and Technology Directorate. And then I went on to industry, where I worked uh, several several years for some some giants like Xerox and General Dynamics and cybersecurity and emerging technologies. And now I have my own company, and I also teach at Georgetown University, cybersecurity risk management and also uh, applied intelligence. In a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a very succinct nutshell. I love it. <laughs> awesome. So, um, you know, the whole thing with Security Bridges is really we love to identify and talk about the, those key ways that we're trying to connect cybersecurity to you know the non-cyber security folks, right? We're always trying to build those bridges. And, you know, one of the things I know that was really intriguing to me is the work that you're doing at, at Georgetown University. You had mentioned, you know, a little bit about your, your focus on, you know, the cybersecurity risk side of things in particular. And I would love to hear a little bit more kind of what does that even look like in an academic sense as you're, you're working with students who are presumably trying to get into a cybersecurity role. Um, you know, oftentimes, we think of like that that 
that infamous GRC term and kind of get you know a lot of a lot of security practitioners kind of back away, right? So it, it it was fascinating to me to see that that's like an area where you're really focused. So can you kind of dive into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, it's it's a very rewarding experience actually. It's a relatively new program, but it's got I think the advantage of being in Washington D.C. You've got a lot of practitioners. We have a lot of technical people. We have a lot of policy people. And we also have a lot of companies and government agencies that are paying. This is the graduate level course for their their people to get educated uh, deeper in, in cybersecurity and information security. So we're getting a, a really good caliber of students. A lot of them on the on the GI Bill uh, that have served in the military. And I think it's it's sort of a recognition by uh, a lot of people in this area that you know cybersecurity is is uh, certainly a career path, but it's also an important security issue uh, from the government perspective and also from the business perspective. And a lot of them are, are, are you know, uh, changing their careers or they're already in it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting to see where they're going with it because I have to say in the last couple of years, so much has exploded in, on the cybersecurity scene uh, with just all kinds of uh, emerging technologies coming on board like 5G, uh, soon to be quantum. Now they're requiring quantum encryption at, at NIST, et cetera. So there's a whole lot of things to teach. <laughs> so it's very exciting. So let's, you mentioned quantum computing. That's kind of interesting to me too, right? Because I think there's a, even there, there's a, there's a lot of buzz in the industry about it. And, I, you know, generally in cybersecurity, when we hear a lot of buzz, we get skeptical, right? Because, yeah. you know, and I know that you also, you touch on in your profile, you talk you know, the, the work you're doing on blockchain. And that's one of those, right? How many how many cybersecurity companies jumped on the word blockchain and put that just everywhere they could figure it out? And now we're seeing some of the same with, with uh, quantum computing. So it's interesting to hear you say that that's, you know, something that really is on the horizon. How do you see that coming to play and, and when? I mean... Well, you know, I think when you're looking at quantum, you're looking at quantum technologies. So you, you have a, you know, a lot of different things. Quantum computing is a, a little way off, probably closer than we think now. You know, I used to think it was 20, 30 years off, but now they're, they're making some material gains with new, you know, silicon and other things that are, are pretty interesting and a lot of research is going into it. But there's quantum sensing, you know, what we use in, in MRIs, we use that already. Uh, quantum encryption, which is now, as I just started to mention, that NIST just developed uh, requirements that there be quantum encryption on, on, on algorithms that are being used by the Department of Defense and, and, and other agencies. So, you know, those those technologies that are nearby, we've shown some in quantum entanglement already. I mean, it's a complicated area because you're really talking about physics more than you're talking about anything else. But it, it, that part is here. So, I mean, quantum is, is uh, going to be a long time in coming until I think we have enough... Uh, uh, ability to say that we can, you know, you know, decrypt billions and trillions of of, uh, of uh, files or data uh, immediately. Uh, but uh, we're getting to that that era, and we also have to recognize that China is putting a ton of money into this, you know, billions of dollars, and they've uh, they they may have a lead on us. So uh, you know, we have no choice. So if you look at it from a security uh, perspective, you need to to invest and and find out what's happening. And I think what we're finding out now in, in our computational era is that what we thought was impossible a decade ago is, is doable. So, you know, you're right about the buzz. It's not here yet. <laughs> Everything is, you know, not quantum yet. Everything is not zero trust yet either. But there, there are sort of goals and, 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 and uh, you have to, you know, achieve those goals step by step. So if I'm thinking like from a, a, a cybersecurity executive, whether, you know, CISO or, you know, someone high up in a, you know, in a senior role in a cybersecurity structure, 
how I mean, how would you go about even talking about this this quantum world to say your executives, uh, you know, your peers, the CEO, and whatever who are hearing all this, and really just kind of wondering wh- where do we go with this? What how how do I you know what what should we care about? If if you're that CISO, I mean, what are the things that you're focused on talking to them about? Sure. Well, I mean, that would be uh, included, but it wouldn't be a priority. Uh, You know, I think the first thing, it goes back to risk management. Um, If you're a business, uh, particularly, um, you're you're targeted or potentially targeted. And there are a lot of immediate threats that don't uh, involve a lot of complicated technologies. (laughs) You know, phishing is still the number one way to get get into a business. It happens every day. It's just fooling you. And uh, the the problem now is that a lot of it's being automated, you know, thanks to... uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence with other technologies that have, have made things easier for the attackers. So there's a lot of things there to consider, but you know, I'd go back to, you know, okay, you need to have a risk management plan. You need to have a strategy. The first thing you need to do as a business is know where your vulnerabilities are. What data do you want to protect? Do you need to segment it? Do you need to encrypt it? Um, you know, do you have firewalls? Um, you know, are your employees, which employees have access? There's so many things to consider if you're talking to the C-suite. And, uh, Fortunately, I think there's more inroads now than there was a few years ago, largely because so many businesses have been got hit, and, and that's it's mainly because of ransomware, because uh, the, the bad guys figured out they can make money on this pretty quickly with, with cryptocurrency. So, uh, you know, I think there's a new new uh, sort of awareness out there that we need to take advantage of, and by, by no means is, is it is it really uh, enough right now. There, there's so many businesses, particularly small businesses, have no idea of just basic cyber hygiene. And, and, and what you just said is, you, you know, what do you tell uh, the people you're working for? The first thing is that, you know, know your tax service, know your risk, and know the threats. So those three things would be the first things uh, I would tell them. And, and quantum would be later on, you know, if it depends what kind of company they are. You know, look what, what emerging technologies are coming online. You know, artificial intelligence, there's 5G, there's quantum, uh, of course, Internet of Things, which is already here and getting bigger and bigger, uh, which is another threat uh, to supply chain. But... Uh, you know, all those things have to be uh, reckoned with in any kind of company that's looking forward because we're really in a, you know, the fourth industrial era. You know, we're moving to digital world, digital transformation, and, and we're early, but all this stuff is happening very fast. So shifting gears a little, you'd mentioned um, that now you're running your own organization, Brooks Consulting. Um, and, you know, from reading about it, it sounds like you're doing work both with some pretty large enterprise organizations. You mentioned Fortune 1000 clients, but you also mentioned you're doing work in the startup world. Yeah, That's got to be a really interesting juxtaposition when you're dealing with something <laughs> You know, someone who's in that 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 Fortune one thousand versus the the startup land. Yeah, it, it is it is a, a quite a contradiction. I mean, the the big companies, you know, the ones that I, I work with, you know, are all very policy oriented. Uh, they have a lot of strata in them and, and, and bureaucracy as they should. As they're big companies and they have liabilities and and, and and lawyers looking at everything. The startups are just basically okay. We got a cool technology. What do we do with it? Kind of thing. So. It's really more like uh, you know thinking and, and 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 being creative, so it's sort of a balance there because you know you're reaching a great audience and you actually have established uh, you know listeners and viewers with with the large companies and what you do is taken very seriously across all levels of it. But with a startup, you're you're really experimenting with what the future is. You know this is a really neat technology. I think it's got potential, and you're trying to help people too because you know everyone I think is at one point thought about doing their own business and. 
it's always fun to, to help people that are starting out and hopefully they make it. And, and you may be part of it or you may not be part of it, but it's always good to, to help those that are taking the risk because that's what we are as an entrepreneurial society anyway. And, and, and without that, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not anything. So, yeah. you know, so I split, I split up my time for both of them and it's a balance. And then, of course, the academia takes a, a good portion of it too. Oh, I don't doubt it. I mean, honestly, really cool. You can get into that that startup uh, landscape and start to really, like you were saying, you see some of the cool new technologies people are creating. You, you start to see some of the ways that they innovate. And I'm sure you probably see somewhere, you know, if you're like me, you look at some of the things they're creating, you're wondering, like, I'm not, I don't know if there's necessarily a market here, but all right, if you want to pursue it. Um, but I, I guess, I have you seen any growth or what, what is your, your impression of how startups are handling the whole idea of cybersecurity? You know, I think traditionally we think about startups and then, you know, very early, you know, maybe in that, that incubator stage or that early funding stage, security is like the farthest thing from their minds. Are you seeing that still play out or are you starting to see those, those founders and maybe even even their their venture capitalists starting to ask more of the questions earlier on on how do we how do we start to ensure the the security of our systems? Well, I've, I've definitely seen a change um, over the last couple of years. You know, it, it's not just me that's seen the change. It's the money, the VC that are putting the money into it. They're putting so much money into cybersecurity startups and technologies. Some with valuations that are crazy, but I think they see the value of you know protecting reputation of, of viability of these companies, and uh, a lot of them also have uh, you know business in both the public and private sector, and with the public sector dealing with government, you need certain requirements. So if they see that market as a market for them, they're going to have to have security elements to it. Uh, but just generally, I think that everything is so focused now with with you know just the Ukraine Russian war you know the the worry that that they're going to get attacked businesses and critical infrastructure all of a sudden you know came all kinds of memos from government so i think people can't ignore it anymore and uh you know i'm hoping that we continue with the the, the investments in, in a lot of these startups uh that we're, we're really promising in the last couple of years you know if, if uh, the economy doesn't uh straighten out a little bit it might drip uh, dip but you know there, there's so much potential out there and 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 it's 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 sort of a these uh they're, they're, they're forging technology, uh, you know, between industry and, and academia and government. And I think that that equation works really well, the public-private sector cooperation. And I want to see more of that. And I think it's the only way that the free world is going to actually uh, uh, compete, you know, against those like with China and others that are just strictly pouring it in for, for security advantage. Yeah, and that, that public-private sector collaboration is a really interesting concept, right? I mean, that's something I, we saw or we're seeing, you know, heavily focused on by CISA. Uh, you know, Jen Easterly was on here about a month ago. We, we talked quite a bit about the efforts that she's doing, which seem to expand on, you know, kind of where I think Brian Krebs, right, Brian Krebs, let's, let's Let's get the right Krebs, the Chris Krebs. <laughs> Jeez, I, I, I'm okay, I promise. Chris well, they're Krebs. Both inside, but okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, they both yeah. have their, their, their plays, yeah. right? But, yeah. you know, I mean, I think that's where Chris Krebs was started, and then, you know, sort of election security sort of pulled pulled their their focus there. But that, I you know, I would love to see that grow. And you, you mentioned that, you know, that you came from Homeland Security. Uh, you spent some time there as well. And I'm assuming that that sounds like it was pre-CISA days. Um, yeah, I was one of the first people in. I was a plank holder there. 
And okay. when I went there, that was like I was in operating out of a warehouse. So they were just putting everything together with with the help of the Secret Service and, and, and Coast Guard, actually. So I was really in the the, the building days with Tom Ridge, and uh, right. it was very exciting uh, because you see. You know, uh, uh, my focus was on science and technology, so it was working with all the labs and working with all the, the, the universities and bringing in the experts in these areas. Although then cyber wasn't the big focus. It was more, you know, uh, chemical, biological, rad, rad nuke, explosives wow. rather than that. But that has changed, and that's when since, since it was really built for, for cyber. And I'm really uh, impressed by the, the job that uh, Jen is doing. Uh, there is a lot of outreach to the private sector. There's much more... Uh, awareness, particularly in the energy sectors and in financial sectors, on on the threats, and the threat sharing is getting good. So a lot's happening, I think, in that area that that uh, really uh, validates the the reason for being for for CISA. Well, and, and how wild that they're now opening up an office in London. Well, it's our great ally, right? You know, it's one I mean, of our great allies. You know, I think, uh, you know, the 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 Brits, the Israelis uh, have a lot of ingenuity they could share with us. Uh, in some other countries too, um, and the Canadians too. Uh, so I think you know, the more we, we're in this together and cooperate uh, bilaterally and multilaterally, the, the better we're going to get to the to you know security uh, stages where we can you know, protect ourselves better. And it does speak to you, you mentioned being in this together. I think there is more and more. I almost feel like we're playing catch up a little bit, right? I mean, you know, obviously the the need to address these issues at a, a global level. Has existed for a long time. I mean, you know, you think okay. about when did we open up the internet and things went global? How long did it take us before we started actually talking to allies and and maybe not even our traditional allies? I mean, we we can think in terms of, you know, the the Western European nations that we're all familiar with and we work with every day, but you know, even some of those countries that we're not typically maybe we're not at odds with, but we're not friends with. It's you know, I, I think there's there's got to be a growth in that level of collaboration. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. No, I agree. I think I think with the exception of, of the, the major perpetrators right now, which are Russia, China, North Korea and Iran, uh, most of the countries out there are in the same same position, uh, you know, because a lot of the, what's being attacked is not necessarily governments. It's, it's their private sector. their banking and their, their businesses. And those, they're all being victimized by those economic realities. So. It, it makes sense for us to, to collaborate and work together with all most of the countries out there. And so you have a cool perspective because you've been in the public sector, you've been in the private sector, and you highlighted something there that, of course, is, you know, I, again, I think it's core to what CISA is trying to do, but it also represents the, the big challenge. And that is we have reached a point like no other before that I can remember, at least as long as I've been alive, which, you know, it was a few decades here now, come on. Um, but uh, where the private sector has so much influence on national security, you know, I mean, it, it, we've always thought in terms of traditional defenses, defend our borders, you know, nuclear defenses, things like that. And sure, you know, the, the private sector plays a part in that, but now you mentioned the the attacks on things like critical infrastructure and what that means in terms of our our homeland security, our our national defense. How do we? How do you feel we can continue to build and and I guess I don't want to say get them to care because I think they care, but how do we continue to get private industry more engaged in that that kind of collaborative? you know, national defense 
uh, strategy. Yeah, well, I think it's it's critically. I think critical infrastructure is really making inroads because it, most of it's owned by the private sector, about eighty percent. And I think they came to the realization, particularly uh, energy and utilities and others, that they can't they can't do this alone. I mean, the threats are too too great and too strong out there. So, uh, um, you know, I think what we need to do is is more awareness, and I think it's really more along small and medium businesses out there, which are are the, are the really the 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 main uh, business elements of, of uh, our engine and economic engine in the United States. And, and most of those, those companies are still way behind the eight ball when it comes to cybersecurity. They don't realize that uh, their supply chain may be corrupted and they could be taken out and they go out of business so easily uh, or the reputation uh, marred. So there's, we really need to do outreach. And I think CISA uh, is doing some of it, but I think, uh, you know, Congress has finally woke up. There's a lot of initiatives now, and I think in the cyber realm, that weren't there a few years ago. Uh, they're looking at every industry. They're looking at you know helping uh, train people in, in economics, uh, sense of uh, getting jobs in cybersecurity because there's such a dearth of, of them out there, uh, retraining people in government. So I think all of that combined uh, you know helps a lot. It adds STEM to it, add everything else that we're trying to do. Uh, you know it goes back to the digital age focus. You know we, we need to to really uh, recruit and get people involved in in this area uh, because there's so much. Uh, depth to it you know it's not just you know uh, uh communications is everything we do everything we operate has a, has a digital connection so uh you know we really need uh, a, a a bigger focus sure so i mean i do feel like we've kind of hit that critical mass at least let, let's think just critical infrastructure for a minute have we kind of hit that critical mass where you feel like you know they're a little more motivated at this point um and the reason i ask is i look back you know on my history as a consultant and you know for better part of a decade, I was working in, in NERC-SIP and, you know, dealing with a lot of the regulations around infrastructure protection, but it never seemed to, it was, you know, regulation did what regulation does, right? People just want to, whatever I got to do to get you off my back. All right, fine, 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 fine. But there was never that meaningful commitment or very rarely was there that meaningful commitment to, all right, we really have to secure ourselves. And I feel like maybe, my, I always thought there was like some skepticism on the part of those those organizations where they didn't really believe the problem was that worrisome because of traditionally, I mean, you're, you're talking to electricians and, and so forth, right? I mean, people who, you know, yeah. their first thought isn't the cybersecurity world. And so I'm curious now if, you know, how you feel, if you think, hey, that we've gotten over that hump and is that if we've gotten over that hump, is it maybe a result of some, you know, pretty prominent news stories now where, that have shown tangibly what can happen? Yeah, I'm not sure we've gotten over the hump totally. I mean, I think there's still a lot out there that see compliance as security, you know, it's, you know, check the box kind of thing. But I think that we're more aware of the risks. You know, we've we see, seen what happens in the energy industry, the amount of attacks happening. We saw it happen to Aramco from Iran. We saw that, you know, uh, Russia has been able to take out Ukrainian uh, power plants So and, and satellites. So I think... Uh, you know, there's a, a greater awareness, I think, among the people that are leading those those uh, sectors of the economy. And I think there's also a great awareness in government that's now starting to mandate this awareness and, and involvement. So I think it, it's not quite there yet, but I think it's going in the right direction. And I'm hopeful that there'll be more, you know, for instance, when I just mentioned satellites, you know, the satellites are not considered critical infrastructure, uh, but yet our communications are more and more of it are going up in, uh, around Earth orbit. So... You know, we need to look at that too, the ground stations, the satellites, the vulnerabilities, uh, 
everything is vulnerable right now. And so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, uh, now that we're, we're, we're getting a sort of more sober perspective of what, what, what the cyber threats are and how dangerous they are, um, you know, that, you know, you can really uh, focus on, 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 on filling all these gaps and there are a lot of them to fill. And that's, I mean, so <laughs> those that follow me on Twitter know this, you may not know this, Chuck, but I'm, I'm a student pilot. And oh. so you, say, you talk about satellites not being critical infrastructure. I mean, I just, my mind immediately went to thinking <laughs> about how many aircraft now are reliant on GPS. I mean, the GPS system alone, you know, if, if you lose that system and the FAA is moving us farther and farther into that world, right? I mean, they're actually moving away from ground station based, uh, you know, navigation and so forth. And it's all becoming satellite based. To, to think about commercial airliners losing their ability to navigate via GPS, yeah, are there backup ways? Probably, you know, there, there are some things, but boy, that, that that's a terrifying thought in and of itself. It, it certainly is. You know, I, I think about it every time I fly, actually. But you're right. I mean, not just that, the, the cyber threats to a lot of the aircraft. I mean, there is so many vulnerabilities. And if you look at this from a security perspective, I mean, you can be up all night. You know, you just look at just look at healthcare, for instance. What could happen in hospitals since most of them don't have good cybersecurity and all the the, the medical equipment, uh, you know, is, is vulnerable. I mean, there's so many things that we need to to refocus on in this new era that we just started to do. And I'm, I'm and and I think the more we we get on shows like this to talk about it, the better it is. Um, because you know they're bad guys out there. They're going to go uh, for for whatever reason, whether it's geopolitical or whether more likely it's financial, which a lot of these hacker uh, criminal gangs are. Uh, they're going to go after where they can get you, and 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 you know we just have too many targets. It's it's a larger attack surface than it's ever been. It's growing, and and, and with these new technologies, with automation and artificial intelligence, um, it's easier for them too. So, like, you know, there's a, there's other thing is that they only have to be lucky at, like, one time, you know, out of a thousand fishes. Uh, right. You know, you always have to be uh, uh, vigilant to make sure you're not the one fished. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, one thing I'm, I'm, I've heard the term tossed around a little bit, and I'm actually surprised it doesn't, more people aren't drawing the parallels between a lot of these cyber attacks and terrorism, right? Like, I've heard the term once or twice, cyber terrorism, and, I don't, I don't feel like we need to put the word cyber in front of everything to, you know, to, to differentiate that it's a, a digital attack. But I feel like a lot of this is based more in the concepts of terrorism. It's how can I put that threat out there of physical harm? I don't even have to physically harm anybody. Yeah, right? yeah. Just that threat or that fear alone allows the, these criminal elements to do a lot of the things that they do. Um, you know, you think about, uh, you know, pipeline getting shut down. Well, that created a whole lot of fear in folks' minds. Maybe not life or death fear, but it certainly had them afraid of what could happen to our economy. Um, you know, and maybe there is some life and death there too if people can't get fuel and things of that nature. And so I'm 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 a little surprised that we don't hear it addressed more in terms of a, a, a terrorism act. Yeah, you know, I think initially, uh, and I, I'm sure DHS is, <laughs> they're looking at, you know, we've had a lot of attacks on water plants. You know, they've been lone wolves but for the most part, but we also have attacks on, on state governments that have taken down Atlanta and Baltimore and other areas of Florida, uh, smaller governments. But uh, this is a very real uh, threat. I, I just think we just sort of underplay it. 
And I think what happened recently, you mentioned the, the pipeline, Colonial Pipeline. I think that was a really good wake up call because it really took down, like I said, took down for a week all the energy uh, uh, travel across the East Coast. Uh, we weren't sure if it was a, a, a geopolitically sponsored attack on OT. You know, it, it turned out to be an IT attack, but nonetheless, we had to shut down the OT, the operational technology part of it anyway. And that's where, they, where it makes it easy for the, them. You know, they could just go into almost any industrial plant and, and get through the IT and, and then automatically have to shut down the OT too because you don't know if it's been cross-pollinated. So I think it, it's, it was a wake-up call for us uh, to learn that how vulnerable these, these infrastructures are. And, uh, you know, it, it could be much worse than, than it happened before, like you said. And it could be our food production. It could be water contamination. It could be our electrical grids. There's, there's a lot of uh, vulnerable uh, infrastructure out there. Yeah, and you mentioned, as you were talking about that, too, uh, state and local government, who really tend to struggle, I think, more than most. You know, in terms of dollars and cents, their, their budgets are so small. Um, you know, having, again, worked in you know, a space where I did a lot of work with uh, those, you know, the small and mid-sized governments, that th there's a challenge there, too. Um, but I'm curious, uh, first of all, do you have you had the opportunity to work with some of those governments and what do you, what do you see as kind of their biggest challenge? Yeah. Oh, I have. And, and I actually testified for a committee a few years ago at DHS on that on SLED. Um, the biggest uh, challenge is, is, is really budget for most of them. They just don't have the budget and the resources. Uh, that, that is, is the number one thing that's changed a little because they got a lot of funding in the last federal bill. The other thing is they just don't have the expertise. Um, you know, you're really competing with uh, industry and, and, and the best of government uh, to get the best sidewalk. So uh, there's other alternatives. I mean, the government could help them manage services and other thing, but uh, state and local has its own unique problems. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to take a while uh, to, for them to build up. But the, the one thing they can do is protect the, the crown jewels, particularly if it's, if it's citizen records or, you know, if it's certain areas of, uh, of government that they need to keep, keep a, away from any kind of intruder. So, um, I'm optimistic that that you know as things go along that a lot of this will be automated, and and some of the lessons learned and shared will be much more integrated within the the federal market too between the state and local. So, uh, but right now I think we're at, at a point where you know things are still in early stages where there's still a lot of uh, uh, gaps and vulnerabilities for the state and local uh, operations. Do you feel like maybe there's an awareness component as well? Maybe it's not the, the top risk, but I. I I think back to you know a couple uh, you know higher profile stories. I think about the the coal fire uh, consultants who got arrested in Dallas County, and and you know the uh, granted you know it seemed like they got kind of wrapped up in a little bit of political infighting between the sheriff's department and and the the judicial branch. But then you know more recently we have the the case in Missouri, I believe it was, where we've got a a uh, you know, um, a, a journalist who points out that they were able to discover all of this information on a government website, not doing anything that you or I would consider hacking or unauthorized access to a system. But yet we had this governor who was adamant that he was you know, going to charge this person and with crimes and everything else. Do, do you feel like that that kind of points to maybe that there's even some awareness work that could happen there in the state and local ranks in particular? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, uh, again, they're, they're a, a new territory. 
Um, actually, I think it's it's a, the Secretary of State's that do a lot of this this stuff with cyber, um, you know, in the budget area. Uh, so they they really need to start from a you know a whole new launching pad. Just forget government was behind too, and still is a little behind in some areas. But you know, in terms of, of best practices, state and locals are, are not usually communicating much with each other. You also have, like you said, the the different local elements uh, that might be a sheriff, it might be a, a you know a city. Uh, that may have their own IT operations, and it's not you know congruent to what the state is doing. So there's a lot more issues there uh, because they're not as, as delineated as they're in the federal government, and, and the RFPs and everything that's done to, to procure technologies and capabilities is is uh, also different. So you know it's going to be a bigger challenge to get a lot of these states up. Some of the bigger uh, states, you know, like Texas and others, have strong budgets and they're doing a better job. But for most states, they just have not uh, prioritized cybersecurity. So what can the private sector do in that case? I mean, what is there, you know, from a, a private business perspective, I think there's a vested interest from the private sector in improving the, the quality of cybersecurity in state and local because we're reliant on them for a lot of infrastructure and other things. How, what do you see, or do you have thoughts on what maybe private sector can do to try to influence that a little bit more? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's, there's in some of the states I've seen, I think in Virginia for one, um, there's now uh, an involvement where they're building cybersecurity advisory boards with industry and government, and they're convening meetings and, 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 and taking out actions. I think a lot of us states need to follow that action, but but I think you know, particularly if you're a, have a, a headquarters in the state and you're, you know, a, a big company that's involved with cybersecurity, um, you know, part of your mission should be to uh, uh, educate and, and share, uh, you know, with with the people around you, particularly that your neighbors. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of, of possibilities there. Uh, again, the states have to do the outreach initially, and I think some of them are doing it, but not many. So that's a good area, of, I think, uh, uh, for, for an idea for a uh, uh, a plan to, to, to invigorate cybersecurity among the private and public sectors and states. So actually, I think we just answered Frank's question. Um, in <laughs> fact, he kind of put the answer in there. Um, you know, I, I feel like, okay, so, you know, how do we get different groups to talk to each other? And he mentions that EDU has a great ISAC, the, the run ISAC group. And, you know, of course we have Fin ISAC and a few others, but, or FS ISAC, excuse me. Um, you know, so I, I feel like, yeah, it's wherever we can look for that collaboration, that, you know, that, that opportunity to share and almost, you know, I, I don't want to call it a collaborative that kind of has its own, uh, you know, sense to it. But maybe, maybe there is even is that opportunity to really unite a lot of the efforts of what's going on in the private sector and what's going on, you know, in, in the government and, and bring those efforts together and, you know, more than even just information sharing, but actually work projects together. Um, I think we've started to see some of the ISAC groups do that. Um, I know World Economic Forum has put together a few cybersecurity committees that are focused on ideas like that. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you have other thoughts on just how we, you know, I know you, you kind of covered a lot of it already, but just how, how do we continue to foster that, that communication? Uh-oh. We lost your audio. We'll see if it comes back. We may have lost it. <laughs> for, for those of you tuning in, this is not the first time we've experienced this today. Um, yeah, I, I think we, we lost Chuck. But 
you know what? We were we're getting down to that time anyway, so uh, it's about time to wrap up. I and mean, we've been going for a while, but uh, Chuck, I know you can probably still hear me, so thank you so much. Um, it's really a pleasure to, to talk with you. Uh, thank you, everybody who's tuned in. Uh, this one we will get converted to podcast in a few days. Obviously, the video is available immediately on all the channels. But check out the ITSP website uh, if you want to get access to this episode once it's converted to that audio podcast. Podcasts of the, the past episodes, and of course, the videos you'll find those on our usual channels. So, Chuck, thank you for joining us. I'm sorry about the, the technical challenges. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining in, and we will see you next time right here on Securing Bridges. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.